From Nine News in Denver, Colorado, this is Blame, an ongoing investigation into a mother's death, her husband's secrets, and the lax police work that put Blame squarely on the shoulders of their six-year-old son. Was the shooting of Jill Wells really an accident? Join Nine Wants to Know in our pursuit to discover, is someone else to blame? A gunshot echoes across a windswept prairie. A young mother dead. Knowing everything that we know now. An investigation over before it began. I feel like I failed him too. Got feelings. Oh man, if I just would have known this a long time ago. There was a lot of red flags. And an unanswered question. The preponderance of evidence. I would have done something about this. This really points to a homicide. Was a six-year-old really to blame? She was infectious, and she never said anything bad about anybody. She didn't ever pull anybody down. She's so positive, and that's why we never knew anything was going wrong. She just loved little kids, you know, loved to play with them and and um, take care of them and stuff, and like a little mother. She was effervescent. She was fun. We shared the same sense of humor. If anybody, I would just want to be like Jill. Fifteen years after she was shot to death in an incident blamed on her six-year-old son, memories of Jill Wells the person remained vivid for those who cared about her. We've talked about what happened on March 28, 2001 on the plains of eastern Colorado, about the gunshot that took Jill's life, about what the authorities did and didn't do, about the financial problems experienced by Jill's husband, Mike Wells, about the life insurance bought just weeks earlier and about the questions and the suspicions that maybe that little boy, Tanner Wells, wasn't responsible for what happened. Now it's time to go back further to the Jill her family and friends knew. She was a wife and a mother to two sons and a nurse. And long before that, she was a sister, one of five girls and three boys in the family of the Reverend Walter Evenson, a Lutheran minister, and his wife, Joyce. The couple served as missionaries in Africa in the late 1950s and led congregations in South Dakota, Missouri, and Kansas. It's important to acknowledge that Jill was a real person who was loved, and that in the last years of her life, she and her husband were facing a swirl of issues in their marriage. To get to know Jill better, we start with her sister, Joy, who was about five years older. Joy talked to us from her home in Texas. What was you guys' relationship like when you guys were kids? Um, well, I was probably kind of a tease to her, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> um, she was, um, you know, she was young enough where maybe she was the little sister that, you know, as a, as a preteen or whatever that would get on my nerves sometimes. But I probably played more with Jan. Jan was like three years um, younger. And then Jill, um, you know, a couple more years younger than Jan. And so, um, yeah, when when we were growing up, it was like that. But we became more friends. So she started like she started at Dana College, right? Right. Uh huh. And then she transferred to the University of Missouri. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where she got her nursing degree. Yes. Mm-hmm. I lived with her when she was going to college, um, to nursing school in Columbia. When I got done with hairstyling school, I moved to Columbia, and um, we shared an apartment. And she was very studious, and she, um, um, well, I mean, even though I was kind of back and forth away from home or around the area um, as a young adult, um, Jill was always, how much do you want it? Like, am I bouncing around too much? No, no, as much as you want to tell me is... Okay, yeah. Um, Well, throughout high school, you know, I was still kind of around because I had had my son. And so um, Jill was a wonderful aunt. She loved Christopher, you know, little baby, and she would um, just, she just loved little kids, you know, loved to play with them and and, um, take care of them and stuff and like a little mother. And then she also, um, she was involved in sports. Um, she was on the volleyball team. Um, I think she also played basketball, and she was always the encourager. You know, everybody loved Jill. What else would you want people to know about Jill that we haven't already talked about? Oh, man, Jill just, she just loved people, and she just accepted them for who they are, and she treated everybody with, with um, you know, respect and, um, and you know, she, like, the people that came up at the hospital when we had that little um, service there after, you know, her funeral in Woodland Park, we went to the hospital and had that service for the workers and people at the hospital that could come to the chapel there. And, and we had people on the food lines that served food, and we had janitors in the hospital, and we and and they would say, we just love Jill. You know, she she would you know, come through the line and joke around with us. And, you know, she knew our names. She, it didn't matter, you know, if you were a doctor or a nurse or where, you know, whatever your um, position was, you know, she, um, she just loved everybody. And she even had patients calling the hospital after they read it in the paper and said, was that my Jilly? So she was just really loved. She was very sincere, too, and very genuine. She was just genuine. She could joke about herself and her faults or whatever, but she she always um, she always brought cheer, you know, she was cheerful. and um, just showed an interest in everybody and made them feel valued, you know. Yeah, she was very sincere in her caring for for others. In an earlier episode, we heard from Jill's sisters, Lynn Vallandingham and Julie Evenson, as we shared documents we'd unearthed with them. But they also shared memories of Jill. She was always a favorite aunt. Who's your favorite auntie? And she was the, my sister who would, if my two children... You know, when a child gets to be about a year old, well, then they get really clingy and, and stranger anxiety. Jill would go to the family reunions and just walk up to them, uh, walk up to me and just grab them out of my arm. 
and take them away and they would just end up then wanting to stay with her the whole time because right. <laughs> she would just win them over. She just had a way with babies and children and um, she, always sunshine, just sunshine jelly. Yes. I mean, it's, and, and she would come home kind of like when James comes home and my brother now and just fill your life with sunshine, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that Julie's not sunshine. Too. Oh, <laughs> she is. You don't have to say that. <laughs> no, you are. I, I do call you sunshine, though. <laughs> but Jill just. She was infectious. She was infectious, and she never said anything bad about anybody. She didn't ever pull anybody down. She's so positive, and that's why we never knew anything was going wrong. Yeah. I mean, very seldom would she be negative about Mike. Um, and she loved Tanner and Jake. She would do anything for them. She took pictures of them all the time. She would share pictures with them wherever she'd go. Um, she must have been a hell of a nurse because <laughs> mm-hmm. she was in the triage um, emergency room. She was a nat- national honor um, student. She probably was the smartest in her whole family. <laughs> um, but she just she, applied herself. She applied herself. Yeah, she worked for everything yeah. she got. Yeah. And she, she was very um, energetic, um, had, had lots of friends. Oh, she had very loving friends in Colorado Springs um, area in Windland Park. In fact, after she died, they left the chair open for her at the Bible studies. Mm. Yeah. And she had Bible study in their house. I think Jill was everybody's favorite. No, she was. And we didn't even argue about that. We no. all just knew that no. Jill, she's our mm-hmm. favorite. Yeah. You know, you and it was okay with each one of us yeah. that she was right our favorite. <laughs> yeah, right. you I know. Think, I so think it so. wasn't like a competition. Well, and it wasn't. You. If you were to talk to my brother Lorne, mm. who's very um, quiet. He will never forget the time that they went to a reunion at their old high school, and she danced with him half the night. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. For Julie, Jill was the sister who believed in her long before she believed in herself. Jill used to tell you to do something. Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I was I, I had buck teeth. My my teeth were really crooked, and I was chubby, and. Um, I just didn't have a really good self-esteem and, um, you know, kids made fun of me. I, you know, I was always, I, I couldn't, I just loved people too much and I really didn't, I felt like I loved, I got hurt a lot because of that love and, um, anyway, and I felt like I couldn't do anything good enough to fit in or, and Jill would be the one that would say, Julie, you, you're so precious. You're so beautiful. You just have to feel that yourself, you know. When are you going to start loving yourself, you know? And when are you going to stop caring about what everyone thinks? You need to stand up for yourself. You need to be assertive, you know. And I remember that all of the time. And I was like, you know, you're right. You're right, you know. <laughs> And then she would say, why do you point out anything that's wrong with you? You shouldn't do that. You should feel confident, you know? And I was like, yeah, I wish I did, you know? (laughs) But I don't, you know? But I I think that Jill's ultimate goal for me was 
to feel good enough about myself that I would start making good choices because um, I made a lot of bad choices because of um, being insecure and not really caring about myself as much as I should, you know? So I, I thank Jill for that because she did make me feel better about myself and she taught me that feeling worthy comes from inside, not on the way you look on the outside. You know, it's feeling good about yourself from the inside out, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's good, you know. I don't, I don't feel as bad as I used to. <laughs> I still have problems every once in a while, but um, we all do. I think that everybody does. We're all human. One of Jill's closest friends was Kathy Parham. Like Jill, she was a nurse at St. Francis Hospital. Kathy got to know Jill shortly after Tanner was born in 1994. She had a newborn at the time and we had a um, director who had told her that she could not take time off when her baby was sick. And she came to me in tears and I said, oh, that's not true. Let's go to Human Resources. That's kind of where the friendship started because I had worked for a while longer in administration and kind of knew the, the lay of the land. So she started kind of just coming to me um, in the same department and kind of bouncing things off me. So. So initially, sort of what I would call a work friendship, yep. would that be fair? Work friendship. And then it developed into more of a away-from-work friendship. Yeah, much more, yeah. We just laughed a lot together because our jobs are very stressful. There's a park right outside the hospital. We started walking at noon and just kind of sharing our lives together. And even at her memorial service, I was sharing with everyone there that we look put together because we have to be very professional. That was back when we had to wear suits and skirts and pumps, but underneath we always were sporting huge holes in our pantyhose and nobody knew what we were like underneath, but we always had the presence, the professional presence. And well, we just would always put on our walking shoes and that's when we would vent to each other about the stress of our jobs, but just share life. We just would do life together. We'd put on our walking shoes and go. Her office was up on uh, 11th floor at the time, so she would come down to my office and change her shoes, and so she'd keep her shoes in my office. When her folks came to the hospital for the memorial service here, they had come to my office, and I said, these are Jill's shoes. I said, would you like her shoes? I said, these are her socks, these are her shoes. Um, they have her DNA, and her mother said, you keep those shoes. I want you to have those shoes. To this day, Jill's walking shoes occupy a drawer in Kathy's desk, mementos of the friendship they shared. But they're not the only reminder of Jill that Kathy holds close. As Robert and Kathy will be lighting when Kathy got married in 1997, Jill was part of the duet that sang during the ceremony. Take 
as we've looked into Jill's death, we've found it easy to locate people eager to share fond memories of her. Going back to an earlier episode, there was this other friend of Jill's that she was really close to, someone in the church. Yeah, Terry Willoughby. She was a friend of Jill's from church in Woodland Park. And I had initially talked to her in 2011 when I was first looking into this case. And so I set out to try to find her, and her phone was disconnected, and I did a bunch of checking, and I finally sent an email, and it turned out she's now living in Africa. We sort of ended up having to, to trade emails to talk to her and, and get some of her thoughts about Jill's death. How close were they? They were pretty close. They went to church together. They were in a Bible study group together. They talked several times a week, sometimes four or five times a week, and they were just very involved in each other's lives. And... Um, you know, we're very good friends, and, and Terry still thinks about Jill a lot 15 years later. Was she surprised to hear from you when you started emailing her in Africa? She was surprised that I found her. I have to say it wasn't any great feat of investigative journalism. I just found an email address I had from her from five years ago, and I tried it and it worked. But she was surprised, and she, was, she told me that she was glad to know that, that we were looking into this. Why? She believes that the truth should come out, and the truth is powerful. She has a lot of questions about what happened to Jill, and she wants people to know about the suspicions and the doubts that are out there about the story that was told on the day Jill died, that Tanner accidentally fired that gun. I take it that she doesn't believe that story. She is skeptical of that story, definitely. What did Terry Willoughby tell you about her friendship with Jill and her life in Woodland Park? They were very close. Their relationship was based um, very much on each of them having a, a very strong Christian faith. And they talked about that a lot, and they went, they went to the same church, and, and they were in Bible study group together. And they just they talked about a lot of things with their lives. For instance, Jill made it clear to, to Terry over a long period of time that she really didn't want to work, that she wanted to quit her job and be at home with her boys. And as Terry put it in an email to me, wanted to be there to do all the mundane mommy things with them. She wanted to stop working, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. It must have been really hard for her then to be going through all the financial troubles that they were going through. And Definitely. I mean, a number of Jill's friends have told us that essentially she had to work to provide the family, for example, with health insurance. Mike Wells was self-employed and they had a lot of financial issues and so her not working was really not an option for them. Did Jill talk with Terry often about her marriage tonight? Terry made it clear that they tried not to have what she termed husband bashing sessions, but they also talked a lot about the fact that Jill wanted Mike to participate more actively in her religious faith and thought that that would help him. Terry made it clear that that Jill was frustrated at times, that Mike didn't share her religious values and religious beliefs, uh, at least not in the sense that he expressed them the way she did, by going to church and, and that sort of thing. It makes me think that there was a very fundamental break in this marriage. When you were as religious as the way Terry makes her sound. I mean, she talks a lot in these letters about the core of their religious faith. Definitely. Definitely. It's clear to me that Terry's religious faith is very important to her, and it's clear to me that Jill's religious faith was very important to her. It's clear to me that Jill was bothered on a certain level 
by the fact that, that Mike didn't share that same feeling and expression of religious faith that she had. Did Terry describe Mike in any other ways? Did she know Mike? Did she have a relationship with him too or just with Jill? One of the things she said to me was that it wasn't that she disliked Mike, it was that she didn't really know him. She described a time when, the, when their two families got together for dinner and I'm just going to read what she wrote to me. We actually went to Mike and Jill's house for dinner that night. I doubt Jill could have gotten Mike to our place. I believe Jill was hungry for friendship with couples that she knew would be easier for Mike to get along with and someone he could kind of relate to. Since my husband was in the construction field for many years and is a very laid back guy that can talk to anyone, Jill knew that he could handle being with Mike for the evening. But it was awkward because it was obvious Mike was not interested in a relationship with either of us. He got up multiple times during the dinner and would be gone for a while and then he would return. I think when we went home, we both commented that it had been a fun evening with Jill, Tanner, and Jacob, but that our relationship with Mike hadn't changed at all. So Mike just didn't really participate in Jill's community and circle of friends. That's definitely the way Terry and others have described it. Almost as though on some level, Mike and Jill were living separate lives. Did Jill talk about that to her friends? I think mostly in the context of a couple of things, the religious faith that we've talked about and also just presence, just, you know, Mike went off on a lot of hunting, was involved in um, coaching softball teams and things like that. It's clear from talking to Terry and other friends of Jill's that she just didn't feel he was that present in her life and the lives of their sons and wanted him to be, be there more. He wasn't very involved. Like if I remember what the sisters were talking about, the, his first marriage and his children from that marriage. Did Terry talk at all about Jill's feelings about his first family and the fact that he wasn't involved with them either? I think the thing that Terry knows most about that situation is that Jill told her that her wages, Jill's wages, were being garnished to pay Mike's child support bills in Missouri. Terry has told me that Jill felt bad for those two kids in Missouri who basically had no real relationship with Mike. So I think that was another source of angst for Jill. It seems like from her friend's perspective, she was more worried about these children he had from a previous marriage than he was. Did Terry mention anything about knowing Jill and Mike's financial situation? Yes, she definitely knew that it was a struggle. She told me a story that was really interesting, which was that they were out one day and they'd gone out to lunch and they were running errands and that sort of thing. And, and Terry and her husband were getting ready to go on vacation and, and Jill knew they didn't have a lot of money. And so Jill asked Terry, could we stop by the bank? I need to do something at the bank real quick. And, and so they stopped at the bank and, and Jill went in and withdrew $200. And she came out and she gave it to Terry and said, I want you and your husband to have this to do something fun on your vacation. Terry said they both you know, were teary-eyed at this time and, and that she had the impression, that Jill didn't say anything, but that she had the impression that Jill maybe had an account where she was keeping some money that Mike didn't know about and that's where she got that money. Terry obviously found it very touching and still talks about it vividly 15, more than 15 years later. So Jill was very generous as a friend and with money. 
Definitely very generous as a friend. I think that may have been more of a one-time thing with the money, but it was a case where she did something for somebody that, that was very much appreciated by them and that, you know, she recognized that her friends didn't have a lot of money. Isn't it ironic that we've heard many stories about Mike asking people for money all the time, and yet here's his wife, Jill, just giving people money? Yeah, yeah, it is ironic. You know, marriages are, any kind of intimate relationships are funny things because you see all the time people that you might look at and wonder why they're together, why they're happy together because they seem like very different personalities. This is definitely a case where there just seems to be a lot of differences between Mike and Jill in what they did and how they lived and how they viewed the world and all those things. Gosh, the one thing that we keep hearing over and over again is her faith and her faith. And here Terry is probably the one person who knows the most about what she really believed in and what her thoughts were, her hopes and dreams and that kind of thing. She went to Bible study, she sang in a religious group. Um, you know, Terry talked about the fact that Jill's belief was such that she would have known that the moment her life ended on earth that it would begin in heaven and um, that she would have eternal life. I mean, that was a core part of, of Jill's faith. And, you know, and, and Terry also talked about the fact that despite all these difficulties in her life, you look at the pictures of Jill that her family has shared with us and she's got a, just a huge smile on her face in every single one of them. She made the best out of it. She did. You know, one of the things I asked Terry is, what else would you want people to know about Jill? This is part of her answer. I'm just going to read part of what she wrote. My nickname for Jill was Jilly Sunshine. I've heard her sisters refer to her as that as well. Jill was sunshine. Despite life and its bumps and bruises, Jill chose joy. She didn't wallow in self-pity or anger. She chose to live life seeing the good in everyone around her, including Mike. That doesn't mean there weren't frustrations, but she chose to be the best wife she could to Mike. She married him because she loved him. Her wedding vows said, for better or worse. And she chose to love him and believe him and be the best wife she could because she knew God would be honored by that choice. Was there a little bit of, I want to fix him? I can fix him. I, if I pray hard enough, if I work hard enough and, and keep things going, he'll turn around. That's a really interesting question. I've asked a few people that question. And the sense I get is that it, it wasn't that way so much as hoping that Mike would make changes in his own life. Um, I don't get the sense that she thought she could make him change. Is that it, it wasn't that way so much as hoping that Mike would make changes in his own life. Um, I don't get the sense that she thought she could make him change, but that she hoped that, that he would change and that he would start to embrace some of these things that were really important to her and go to church more and be around more and, you know, be more involved in her life. It was clear to Joy after a visit to Colorado that Jill and Mike were not in the same place when it came to their faith or how a marriage should work. Well, anyway, so 94, 95, I went out there and stayed with Jill about a week. And um, 
when I was staying with them and see Jill and I would talk um, because my son and my dad uh, were in a bad car accident in 92 and so um, she was the nurse you know and she came home like when they were in the hospital and they were in that bad bad wreck so we would talk a lot about the things that happened with Chris, you know, in the hospital and everything. And um, and the other thing is Jill had become a born-again Christian sometime in there, maybe just before that. We had that kind of in common, and she would talk about, you know, her the, the church, and she would, you know, kind of wish that she would get Mike to church and stuff. But um, he wouldn't... He wasn't, you know, really interested, of course. When I went out and stayed with her, this was at their first house that they lived at in Colorado Springs, or in Woodland Park, I'm sorry. And um, Mike kind of came and went and did his own thing. And um, Jill wasn't like a great cook. <laughs> and um, her house, she wasn't the best housekeeper, but she was a wonderful mother. And, um, and she was, you know, she worked very hard, too. Um, and she would take time. You know, she was the type of person that said, you know, to a friend or someone, um, well, we should have lunch sometime. And she would actually do it, you know, instead of three years later, they never go have lunch. Um, but she, um, but Mike and her on and off, it just seemed like, you know, when I would talk to her about it, she she wouldn't, you know, complain about everything, but she, you, you know, it's like they just had, um, you know, a little, a, a wall, you know, here and there, and he would be busy working, and she would just, she just trusted him, you know, he would be gone, and he'd come in, and he wouldn't, like, just really sit and talk, but he always had his baseball games, and he had this, and he had his hunting, and he had his, you know, his flying and all that stuff that he would go off and do and um you know with her uh i mean she she did a i think she only she went hunting with him and got her her um you know took the gun safety and all that stuff she went hunting with him like before they got married and um, out at that same pumpkin center, and she shot a shot a deer, her first deer. But after that, I don't think she hardly ever went hunting with him. Now, I know they did, you know, they went skiing and did some other things, but um, he wasn't really, he wasn't definitely involved in the church thing, you know. And then she herself would say, oh, Joy, I just, you know, I just... Um, she was very self-conscious of her weight sometimes, but she was just kind of built like that, you know, stronger. And but, um, but she would kind of fluctuate a little bit with that. But, um, but it just seemed like she was always trying to make their marriage, you know, better, like to communicate and stuff. And um, and. Uh, he wasn't interested in, you know, going to the counseling and doing all that stuff. Jill confided some of those difficulties to Kathy Parham, as well as her concern for Mike's two children, a son and a daughter from a previous marriage. Actually, it was probably 
started when Tanner was maybe four and a half or so, and Jakey was a newborn. And um, so Mike and Jill were in marriage counseling, and so she would come and share what they were going through in marriage counseling and just ask us to pray because, you know, the counselor always suggests changes you can make. And so we would just pray about those changes, hoping those would come about. Without wanting to rummage too deeply into other people's private affairs, can you characterize what some of the issues were that she shared with you in their marriage? Well, mostly um, it was Mike's absence. You know, he liked to hunt, he liked to be out with the guys, and and she wanted him to be more present um, psychologically and physically for her and the boys. And there were also a lot of financial problems that um, kept coming up. One of Jill's big things, she had such a big heart and she loved children, she loved people. But Mike had been married previously before Jill married him. And it was like he didn't even have these other two children back in Missouri. And a lot of people that knew Mike didn't even know he'd been married previously. And so it was Jill that was always trying to get Mike to pay attention to these two children back in Missouri. It was Jill that was always saying, you need to recognize their birthdays. You need to send them something for Christmas. You need to have them come out to visit or you need to go back to visit them. And, and he just really wasn't present for that family either. Child support for Mike's older kids was one of the financial strains on the couple. Jill at one point confided to Terry Willoughby and others that her pay was being garnished to cover Mike's obligations to those kids. And there was something else. Jill also told Terry and Kathy Parham that she suspected Mike was having an affair with one of her best friends. Jill told Terry, I have confronted them both individually. Both denied it. At that point, Jill told Terry, she said, I choose to believe you. Kathy recalls Jill telling her about those suspicions. Yeah, she sure did. And in particular, you know, she was postpartum and you don't always get rid of the baby fat right away. So she was feeling like she wasn't as pretty as she had once been and kind of chunky. So she and I were always kind of dieting together, but um, she didn't play softball one summer on the co-ed team that her husband helped coach and so they had a tournament in Lyman and she was very upset after that because a couple of people had told her that um, one particular person had been seen coming in and out of Mike's room so that was very very upsetting to her and she didn't want to believe that that was going on and so she had confronted Mike and she had confronted the woman and they had both said absolutely no they're just friends they're just on the softball team together I don't know that she was convinced of that but <clears throat> she said I want to take them at their word and that's who Jill was just very good-hearted gal Kathy remembers something else she remembers that in the months before she died Jill was asking people about life insurance she was trying to figure out what would be the normal amount of life insurance a husband would carry on a wife? And so I said, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't have children, so I don't know. And I have life insurance on me through the hospital here. And, and at that point in time, I 
maybe been married ten years. I, we, my husband and I hadn't really talked about it, so I couldn't give her that kind of information. Jill bought that life insurance less than five weeks before she died. Around that same time, Mike went to marriage counseling with her. Her sister Joy looks back on those last weeks as a time of hope for her younger sister. It was like just before she um, passed away, like the last month or so, she, she seemed like she was happy that he was going with her to the counseling, you know, thing. And like she thought maybe things were gonna get better. But then Jill died. And the woman that Jill suspected was having an affair with Mike, three years later, she became his third wife. There is an extremely good chance that he believes that he killed his mom. Next time on Blame. Tanner was just six years old when his mother died. Now he's 22. He may have come to terms with the fact that he killed his mom and then all of a sudden discovers through this investigation, like, wait. I didn't kill my mom. We wanted to know, what does he remember about his mom, his dad, the shooting? Her son told her that Tanner said, I don't think I shot my mom. Oh, really? But before we could go there, we needed to know something else. What could this investigation do to him? Shouldn't Tanner know that the system failed his mother? Right. And if he doesn't believe he killed his mother... It's easier to say, my kid did it. Yeah. safer to say my kid did it. Is someone else to blame? The first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, is this guy a psychopath? Blame is a production of KUSA-TV, Nine News, and Tegna Media. Nicole Vapp is executive producer. Anna Houston is the producer and editor. And I'm investigative reporter Kevin Vaughn. Find photographs, police reports, maps, and other evidence on ninenews.com slash blame.